For more than a decade, John Schneider has been viewed as one of the front office goliaths in the NFL, but that narrative has changed the last couple of years, particularly this offseason. Is all the criticism necessarily fair? Nick Lee and I are going to be diving in on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my trusty sidekick, Nick Lee. Glad to have Nick back. It's been a few weeks since he's been co-hosting on the show. And we're excited because, Nick, you're going to be taking on a little bit more of an expanded role starting at the beginning of August as we get into the 2022 season. Going to have you twice a week. I don't know if I can take that twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready for more Star Wars references and a little bit more baseball, unless the Padres really tank again. But uh, yeah, really excited for the the future and certainly the season. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting season. Looking forward to having you on the show more often. Obviously, still going to have Rob doing three shows as well. We're going to be doing seven or eight episodes a week during the season. We got a couple of new characters that are going to be joining the fold as well. So we'll have more details on that as we get there. But we are now less than 10 days away from the start of training camp for the Seattle Seahawks. So we'll be diving into training camp previews starting next week. Today, however, we got to get down to the rankings. It's ranking season. We're going to be diving into where some of the Seahawks' biggest stars fell on those rankings. Annual rankings coming from ESPN. So we're going to be taking a look at those with a game later in the show. Going to continue our 90-player countdown and examine John Schneider's falling star as one of the most declining general managers, at least in terms of narrative in the NFL. We're going to explore that here in a moment as well. Now, fear lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. For the better part of a decade, John Schneider has been one of the Goliaths in NFL front offices, widely renowned for his ability to draft, sign free agents, and make thrifty trades to bring in quality veterans. He quickly turned Seattle from an NFC West afterthought into a perennial contender in the last 10 years, eight playoff appearances, four NFC West titles, two Super Bowl appearances, one Lombardi trophy. He's been as successful of a general manager in the NFL away from Bill Belichick, obviously over there at the death star that is new England. They have been able to win a lot of Super Bowls there, but John Schneider has been one of the most consistent productive general managers in the league, continuing to build year after year a championship roster. But that luster has kind of worn off the last couple of years. And then when you go 7-10, and 10, that's certainly going to take some of that shine off. And this has been something that's gradually been going on the past few years with Seattle's roster declining around Russell Wilson and now being without Russell Wilson. So really, Nick, it shouldn't be a surprise that the latest general manager rankings coming out at NFL.com as well as NBC – didn't necessarily have favorable reviews of John Schneider. He had NFL Network, NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal ranking Schneider at 17th. And then yesterday, NBC Edge, Patrick Doherty coming out and putting John Schneider 22nd out of 32 GMs. This is one quote from his rankings. The Seahawks front office has made two signature moves the past three years, trading two first-round picks for a safety and acquiring two first-round picks for the quarterback who oversaw at least one playoff victory six of his last 10 years in town. I'm not sure which, but that seems like a cardinal sin. It's definitely a team-building sin. The one thing you do not do in the modern NFL is give away a franchise 
quarterback. That was the shared sentiment with Greg Rosenthal as well. You picked your GM and coach over the quarterback, dropped him down to 17th. For a long time, Nick, he was perennially in the top five. And I think you and I both agree that he deserves a lot of this criticism, but yet it almost feels to me like this is a bit much, even considering how poorly the last year has gone for the Seahawks organization. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily fair to completely hold the Russell Wilson deal against him quite yet. Of course, the optics look bad with uh, dealing away your, your franchise quarterback of the decade, the winningest quarterback, you know, name insert passing record, quarterback record uh, for the franchise here. And Russell Wilson's got it. Super Bowl ring, all that good stuff. Um, but it's not quite that simple. And we, we know that. Seahawks fans know that. It's it's not as simple as, oh, he gave away his franchise quarterback. How stupid is that? It's it's not quite that that black and white, that cut dry. Um, you know, it, it's it's certainly going to, you know, I think that the deal with Russell Wilson is going to take a couple of years to play out with the quarterback situation, how they respond by replacing him. That could be the next, or it, it's not could be, it will be the next big thing that he's judged on perhaps with his job on the line is getting this next couple of years right with finding the quarterback and building around him. Um, so the Russell Wilson deal, he was never going to sign an extension here. This was never going to work out long-term after some things fell through. And yeah, part of that might be John Schneider's fault to begin with. Um, but yeah, obviously he was a top five GM for a long time with that hall of fame, you know, era of classes in the early 2010s that built to that Super Bowl winning team and back-to-back NFC, NFC titles. Um, but when you look at it from a whole, I'm, I'm looking at the past five years, you know, what has he done really in the last five years to, to really make it feel like he is a above average GM. And cause you know, when you're ranked 22nd, you're below average. Um, not necessarily dead last, but certainly below average. When I look at some of the stuff that's happened over the last five years, you know, the draft has been pretty much a disaster, you know, minus a couple of guys, you know, DK Metcalf, Daryl Taylor looks like he'll be all right. You know, the LJ Colliers, the Malik McDowell's, the almost Rashad Pennies, and maybe still even, you know, that might have been a little too little too late. We'll still see there um, with this next year. Um, you know, but what matters most is in this business is wins and losses, championships. In the last five years, one playoff win and a home playoff loss. And that's just not going to get it done. And that's judged pretty harshly when you couple that, uh, the, the recent string of lack of success with some some draft misses. And yes, the Jamal Adams trade, I think deserves to, to for some criticism, especially when you pair it to the return they got for Russell Wilson. There are some similarities, which are alarming uh, when you talk about a safety versus a franchise quarterback. So I think a lot of the criticism is, uh, valid and legit, but some of it is a little unfair, or a little early, but I'd say the majority of it as of right now for me is pretty fair. I think right now, John Schneider is squarely in the middle. I, I can't say that there's 21 general managers in the NFL that I would want running my team over John Schneider. So I think 22nd is a bit harsh, but there have certainly been some really big misfires. The Jamal Adams trade, Jamal Adams is still a very good football player, but the compensation they gave up and then to turn around and give him a record setting deal worth 70 million. I mean, the investment they put into him, the injuries he's had, that is not looking like a good trade. Most of those big, uh, big swing for the fences moves have not panned out for the Seahawks. We know how the Percy Harvin trade went Jimmy Graham. That was probably the best one. And there were still some reservations about that when it ended three years uh, after the fact. So 
his big misses there in trades have been a problem. Free agency, too many aging veterans in one-year deals, too many 2013 draft busts being brought in. Again, I've t- joked about this before. It's like he's playing bingo against himself. Wanted to get 2013 draft picks like Luke Jokel and paying him $8 million. That was a joke on its own. Then the draft misses, especially in the first round, not being able to get those impact all-pro or Pro Bowl caliber players in the draft. Yeah, there's been mounting reasons for criticism. There's a valid reason that the aura that once surrounded Schneider has dissolved, and there's been this barrage, this onslaught of criticism towards him. So I think Rosenthal's ranking at number 17 seems more fitting than 22. I'd still probably have him a few notches higher than that because – you mentioned what has he done the last couple of years. I do have a few things that I think show he still has the ability to be a really good general manager. The Quandre Diggs trade, or should we call it thief chop, sending a fifth-round pick to the Detroit Lions for him. He's been a Pro Bowler the last two years. He just re-signed him. Carlos Dunlap, you gave away B.J. Finney, who is now retired and really didn't play snaps the last two years of his career. You gave up him in a seventh-round pick. Dunlap was a game-changer for that pass rush, helped you win an NFC West title. You still got D.K. Metcalf, Jordan Brooks. You've got Daryl Taylor, who looks like he's going to be a budding star. This draft class that they just brought in, there's more pressure on that group than any draft class they've had in the last five, six years. And really, he's going to be judged on how this class performs because they got that number nine pick by trading Russell Wilson. So a lot of pressure on Charles Cross and a lot of the young guys they've got here. If he hits on a bunch of these picks, he can restore some of that shine that he's lost the last couple of years. So I don't think that he has been an absolute disaster. And I think we also have to consider Pete Carroll is the executive vice president of football operations. He has veto power. So Pete Carroll's had his hands in the cookie jar here too. If you're going to blame personnel moves on John Schneider, you better blame Pete Carroll for them as well. So I would say 14-15 seems about right. He has not been a top 10 general manager the last four or five years. But could he be again? Absolutely. If he hits on a number of picks of this draft and he – is able to turn some of these free agent additions he made this offseason to quality players, and they're able to make a few other smaller trades to bring in guys to restore the roster, then absolutely he can be top 10 again. But right now, that mid-pack level there, 15 to 17 range, seemed about right. 22nd to me seems a little bit a little bit harsh. Up next, we're going to be checking out our 90-player countdown, picking up at numbers 30 through 26, a number of key defensive players. We're also going to be looking at a few rookies as well when we return. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given the Coconut Brownie Chunk the Puffs treatment. That's right. The Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, flavor you love, in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen. They are good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and absolutely delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. So go to Built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out. They are going fast because they taste amazing. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides a ton of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com to order your box of coconut brownie chunk Built Puffs right now. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. To get 15% of your order. Again, that's built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith. Joining me as my co-host for today's episode, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. 
We greatly appreciate it. And make sure on July 18th, coming up next Monday, that you check out the Locked On NFL podcast. They are going to be unleashing their 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Again, that's going to be available next Monday, July 18th on the Locked On NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Continuing our 90-player countdown, Nick, I believe this is actually maybe only the second time that you've gotten to partake in this this year. And so I know you've been excited for the chance to dive in on some of Seattle's key players heading into training camp coming up in a couple of weeks. We are now down to numbers 30 through 26 in our listing. A lot of key players, including a few rookies on this list. Kicking off our latest list at number 30. Ryan Neal has been truly a revelation the last couple of years for the Seahawks. This is a guy that was cut by the Falcons and the Eagles earlier in his career. He was undrafted coming out of Southern Illinois, originally played football in Northeast or Northwestern Indiana and was lightly recruited, got benched a few times at Southern Illinois. And yet here we are now a few years down the line and Neil has not only proven that he's a capable special teams player, but when Jamal Adams has been hurt, he has been an above average starter at the strong safety position. And I think he could start for a number of teams right now, though, with Jamal Adams being healthy, Quandre Diggs coming back healthy. He's probably looking at, at best, a situational role coming in in sub packages, maybe in dime, they would have four safeties on the field. He might get some snaps in that regard, but mostly going to be playing special teams. And as he's done the last couple of years, waiting in the wings if injuries happen in front of him. He's proven, though, that he's capable of playing defense on Sundays at a fairly high level. Yeah, in sports, you usually – you sometimes hear those phrases like, every good team needs a you know this guy. Like in, in NBA, the, the Spurs, every good team needs a Manu Ginobili kind of player. Or in baseball, you know, Chris Taylor of the Dodgers, you can just plug and play and he just thrives and whatever you need coach kind of guy. Um, and Ryan Neal is that for the Seahawks. It's a, every good team needs a Ryan Neal type. Um, just you know, whatever the team needs. And he's been he's been invaluable in so many spots. He He's logged over more than 800 defensive snaps and more than 500 special team snaps so far in his career. Played over 700 snaps total last year between defense and special teams. Career high, 49 tackles and mostly a reserve role. Yeah, he took over on um, the starting job later. Um, and, and, and like I said, every every good team needs a, a Ryan Neal type of guy, reliable depth, a guy that can that can get you good starts when needed. And with the history, unfortunately, of Jamal Adams's health and just how the defenses have evolved this year or uh, recently, um, Ryan Neal is going to be needed. And if the Seahawks are going to be successful on defense, I think a lot of that will have to do with how Ryan Neal is used. And how he, he, if he can build on some of that success he found last year, in the last couple of years, I think he's played 29 of a total or a possible 33 games the last two years. So just an invaluable piece of this roster. But you know, the, the guys that the guys just gloss over the the team and try to make opinions on, you know, the experts make opinions on this team. They 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 might miss um, some of the more crucial uh, guy or more crucial contributions from guys like Ryan Neal. I think that he's. He's one of those glue guys, and I, I truly mean that in the, in the highest compliment. And I, I'm excited for perhaps maybe even an expanded role, like you mentioned, with the health of Jamal Adams. But certainly the Seahawks know what they have in Ryan Neal, and that can go a long way. What the Seahawks don't know yet is what they necessarily have in Abraham Lucas, who's going to have an opportunity to compete for a starting job right away at right tackle, third-round pick out of Washington State. They, they know what type of player they have. 
the big question anytime that you have a player coming into the NFL, how are they going to adapt coming into the league, going against the best players in the world, particularly when you're talking about a player like Lucas, who has been playing in pass-heavy offenses out of a two-point stance, has not played in a three-point stance other than the senior bowl. The Seahawks don't seem to be concerned about that, though. They still play a fair amount of two-point stance with their offensive linemen, depending on situation. And they believe in the physical tools and the mindset that Lucas has. And I've seen it. I've seen this guy who watched the reps of the Senior Bowl, the physicality, the mean streak that he plays with should translate well to being able to fire out of a two-point stance and get the job done in the run game. There's a bit of a dog in Abe Lucas, but there are certainly going to be question marks. And you can say that with Charles Cross, too, because of the offenses they're coming from into the NFL, there's going to be a big learning curve. And so... Whether he starts in week one or not is really going to boil down to how that transition progresses early on in training camp. Is he able to hit the ground running? If it's something he struggles with, then maybe it is Jake Curhan or Stone Forsythe that ends up starting in week one. But the Seahawks, in an ideal situation, Big Abe Lucas is going to be the starter because how great would it be for their future if they end up hitting on two tackles in the first three rounds in this draft and you build a foundation for your offensive line for the next five to 10 years, it would be a huge boon to Seattle's chances of getting back into contention in rapid ascension. Yeah, I know Zach Wilson's not the only guy that's got a dog in him. That's for sure. <laughs> that's <laughs> paying attention to the NFL social media. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, I'm, I was a big fan of Lucas. I was a big fan of this kid in the draft process. Uh, I, I got to see a Wazoo game in person this year against BYU. And, and he really stood out to me as a guy like, Whoa, this guy, this guy's certainly got just the NFL. He just looks NFL. Just got that body, got the athleticism. He's got that basketball background um, that a lot, a lot of teams covet in their offensive linemen. You know, he's got good footwork, decent athleticism for a guy his size, a good balance. Um, six foot six, three fifteen, ideal length, and um, I, th I think he's just about the same size. Um, actually, he's a little bit bigger as far as lengthwise, if I'm not mistaken, than Dwayne Brown, or re really comparable. Um, to that size. So that, that's a, that's really encouraging. Um, he's got a nasty streak, fierce competitor, and he comes from a unique offense that I think can, can have some, I know people kind of hold it against him, but there can be some benefits to having that sort of offense, especially with some of the stuff Seattle might do this year um, with a new quarterback. So I'm a big fan of him. I just like the intangibles. I like obviously his, his physical tools as well. And yeah, like you said, if the Seahawks, have their two rookie tackles earning those two spots, not 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 playing and not starting because they got literally no one else left, but because they have earned those two spots. I don't know how many other teams um, in, in NFL history have had you know two starting uh, rookie tackles at the same time, but I imagine it's a pretty encouraging sign when they earn it. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very, very two of them since 1970. That's it. Wow. This would be the yeah. third team that starts two rookie tackles in week one. Yeah, which could be a good or a bad thing, but I think for the Seahawks, it's I think it's a good thing. Yeah, that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines. Now, going to the other end of the spectrum, Abraham Lucas is just starting his NFL career in the middle of Seattle's defensive line. Big Al Woods is going to be 35 years old, but he looked spry a year ago after a season off. He sat out 2020 as a COVID opt-out, did not play it down for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He returned to the Seahawks last year, and we've talked about this a few times, Nick. There are a few other players you can make arguments for on Seattle's defense, Quandre Diggs in particular, that were just outstanding last year. 
But you could make an argument that Al Woods might have been the most consistent player on Seattle's defense from week one to week 18 last year. His ability in the middle to hold serve against double teams, to penetrate gaps. I mean, he was very disruptive last year. This was not just a space eater. Al Woods was making plays in the backfield. He contributed some as a pass rusher. Anytime teams were running against him on third or fourth down in short, it seemed like Al Woods was blowing things up. And he made life easy for the linebackers behind him, too, because he could handle those double teams. He can one gap and two gap. He's just an extremely underappreciated player. And I think that's changed a little bit with what he did last year. Bobby Wagner vouching that he should be vouching for him to be in the Pro Bowl. I think that that certainly showed that his teammates respect the hell out of him. And you know that Jordan Brooks feels the same way. Cody Barton's going to really appreciate having that guy up front. So even though he's getting to the tail end of his career, still a very talented, well-rounded player, figuratively and literally, this is a big dude, but he's going to be a really nice centerpiece in the middle of a 3-4 defense play in that nose tackle position, still has a lot of tread left in his tires. Absolutely. He's another guy that's, you know, underrated. He's got that, uh, the, the glue kind of things, but you know, the, the James Webb telescope, you know, they need to find it's, they're going to have a hard time finding things that are bigger than Al Woods with his own orbit there <laughs> in the middle of the line. It's um, and you're right. When you just look at him, you're like, Oh yeah, he's a space eater, you know, nose tackle, you know, and typical, which, which is fine, but he's much deeper than that. 11 pressures, three quarterback knockdowns, 1.1 1. 1 and a half sacks last year. Um, so certainly he, he was disruptive in the past game, not just, when, uh, you know, being a run stuffer or just sucking up blocks for to open up things for the linebackers out um, behind him. So he's he's playing that role. And I'm, I'm hoping that Brian Monet kind of evolves into that guy that, that Al Woods, because, you know, Al Woods getting up there a little long in the tooth, you know, maybe not, maybe won't have, you know, forever to play in the league. I believe he's what, he's 30, 30, uh, 35, yeah, 35 years old. So he's, you know, I, those, some of those guys can hang around for, for a little longer than that. But um, certainly, he, he kind of was one of those tone setters on the defense. And now with uh, the departure of Bobby Wagner is now one of the kind of the hearts and souls, or at least the, the you know, the elder statesman of the defense and the more experienced and a guy that, uh, that certainly the younger ones will look to. Now on the offensive side of the football, this has been a position of need for a number of years. Ethan Posick was the center of the last couple seasons. Before that, they had Justin Britt. Really, ever since Max Unger left in the Jimmy Graham trade, there have been questions at center, and Seattle had the chance to draft Creed Humphrey. They had the chance to go out and get some solid veterans of free agency. They decided to sign Austin Blythe in March, and Blythe certainly has a connection with the Seahawks because of the coaching staff. He played for Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson when all three were with the Rams. Dickerson was helping the offensive line, and Waldron was a pass game coordinator, so both those coaches know Blythe. There is that connection there. And maybe that is going to, by default, make him an upgrade over what Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller gave this team last year. At the same time, even though he's a proven starter, he's had his share of issues when he has been on the field. Last year, he got very few snaps from the Kansas City Chiefs because Creed Humphrey ended up being the guy in Kansas City, and he was a backup. He was dealing with injuries. He has been a solid yet unspectacular center for the most part in the NFL. He started some games at guard, but there have been concerns in pass protection, most notably. So the big question is, is he going to really be much, if any, of an upgrade over what Seattle in the past? They better hope because that has continued to be a major problem for the offensive line, that center position. A solid, not spectacular. That's probably what's going to be on my headstone. 
Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it's for Austin Blythe, you know, he made 48 starts in four years for the Rams. So obviously there is some familiarity there. I will say, you know, once they did move on and got Creed Humphrey, they, they, or the, uh, or sorry, once the, the chiefs found out what Creed Humphrey was, they kind of kicked Austin Blythe to the curb a little bit. Um, and once the Rams moved on from, uh, Austin Blythe at center, they just, you know, messed around and won a Super Bowl. So my, I'm, I'm really, really concerned on the center position still i'm not sold on austin blythe he was a healthy scratch a lot of last year um and then i'm not so healthy scratch sometimes as well but um i i was actually pretty on board with bringing him in before last season because of his history with the rams and just those connections there and so if we we're doing having this conversation a year ago i think i'm a much more much more excited and i do think there might be some marginal improvements from ethan Posick and kyle fuller it's not saying much but um, it's 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 still a problem. I, I'm I, I'm I'm pounding the table that the Seahawks, especially when you're trying to break in a new quarterback, having also a, a question mark at center, not exactly ideal. But I'm hoping I'm hoping that Austin Blythe, of course, proves me wrong. But I think as of now, the Seahawks do have a center problem, and and it's until Austin Blythe proves otherwise. But if there are mar- if there are improvements from Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller from Blythe's side, it's it might be marginal. I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong. Something that I'm hoping for this year, I'm hoping that Marquise Blair can stay healthy for most of the season because we've seen him on the field the last three years when he's been able to play. You can just see the flashes of brilliance. You can see the versatility from the former Ute. This is a guy that can play in the box and smack people. He can play free safety. He can play slot cornerback at a high level. You can match him up man-to-man on tight ends, and he's got the length and size and physicality to do it. And he can blitz. He can do a little bit of everything. Training camp two years ago, he was the MVP of training camp. I thought he had a good camp last year, too, coming back from his ACL tear. This kid has tons of talent. They want to see him and Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams play together, but they haven't been able to do it because of injury. So I'm holding out hope. Marquise Blair, to me, is the ultimate wild card for this defense because Sean Desai in Chicago played a lot of three safety sets. You know that he's going to want to do that as an associate head coach in Seattle. If he can get Blair, Diggs, and Adams on the field together, and he can play Adams or Diggs near the box and move guys around, that interchangeability with his safeties, the amount of flexibility that gives you in terms of who you can blitz and the coverages you can play, man-to-man versus zone, you name it. It just gives you a huge toolbox to work with if you're Clint Hurd, and so the potential, it is something that's been enthralling for the last couple of years, but the injuries have prevented it from happening. So you're hoping you can see a hard-hitting, healthy Marquise Blair playing extensive snaps and sub-packages as that third safety, some on special teams as well, and then he can stay healthy and start to play to his potential because I really think he can still be a game-changer for this defense. Yeah, it's kind of maddening that he's been only eight games, he only appeared in eight games out of a possible 33 the last years because really, like you said, with his versatility, his physical tools, his potential is anywhere between, you know, perfectly average, you know, role-playing safety to like Derwin James. I mean, like he is just all the way in between the, the, the spectrum. I think he really has those tools, um, just the versatility, the physicality that he's got. And unfortunately, some of that physicality has led to those injuries. So really with him, you know, time is starting to run out a little bit on on, on trying to stick on this, on this roster because – the every year that that goes by, there's more and more guys on the roster that the Seahawks are acquiring guys via draft or, or signing or trading for that can do some of the things that Marquise Blair does. And so he's going to have to step up. And like we say all the time, the best ability is availability. 
and Marcus Blair just has not been available. And I you know some of it's just sheer, dumb, stupid, bad luck, which sucks, but that's part of the game too. Um, he's just got to stay on the field because yeah, that potential is immense. And if he, if he was able to realize even a portion of that potential, when you already have Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, talk about an embarrassment of riches at safety. Yeah, that's a perfect terminology for it. They just got to keep that group healthy as much as possible. And it should be the best safety group in the NFL, in my opinion. And that leads perfectly into our next segment here, because we're going to be talking rankings. ESPN dished out their position-by-position rankings. Jeremy Fowler does these every year. And they're the rankings that we like to dive into the most because they come directly from players, coaches, and executives. Where did some of Seattle's top stars fit in? And do we think the rankings were right or wrong we're going to be having some discussion and debate coming up game style here on blue friday betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find the latest sports developments league reviews and news including this year's major league baseball season bet online is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information including live betting esports and scores and betonline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores podcasts and news throughout the season BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, whether it's MMA, boxing, or even golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me today, my trusty sidekick, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast as your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. It's the middle of July. We do have training camp coming up, but I like to call this time of year ranking season because everybody's looking for something to talk about. There's no OTAs, no mini camp, no training camp coming up. Very few roster moves being made this time of year, the doldrums of the off season. So everybody's got to get their rankings out there. And one in particular that you and I always have interest in is the one that comes from ESPN. Jeremy Fowler does this every year. It's an annual ranking position by position, top 10 players at every spot. And it's based off of rankings from players, coaches, and executives that are polled. And so obviously it's an imperfect science. Most rankings are imperfect sciences. There's opinion in all of it, but nonetheless, it's ranking season. So what you and I are going to do, we're going to play a little bit of overrated, underrated, or just right with three of the positional rankings that include Seahawks or may not include certain Seahawks. And we're going to start the game here, Nick, at the receiver position And looking at ESPN's position rankings, Devonta Adams, number one, Cooper Cup, number two. I don't think we can debate any of that. Jamar Chase, one of the top young players in football at number three. Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs coming in at four, five, six. DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Debo Samuel. And then DK Metcalf coming in at number 10, the final one in the top 10. So I'm going to start with Metcalf here, Nick. Do you think that that ranking at number 10 is overrated, underrated, or just right. Man, the the biggest takeaway I got from that list is what a stacked receiver <laughs> group it is right now in the NFL. The, the NFL has never had this type of talent, deep talent at receiver. It is it, that is quite an impressive list. So that that in and of itself being on that list in general um is quite the highest opinion. I think this is actually just right for DK Metcalf. Um, he's easily one of the most physically gifted football players, <laughs> human beings in, in all the world. 
and he deserves to be on that list. Yeah, there was a bit of dip in production last year, which, you know, with some some upheaval with quarterback stuff, although he was a little better with Geno Smith under center for part of that. Um, so I truly think he deserves to be on that list. And I think 10 is just right, just with how stacked. I mean, yeah, like you said, the only qualm I might have is having Jamal Char, or, uh, Jamar Chase all the way to number three. That's probably the like one beef. I, he, I think he's a top 10 guy just, you know, with one year of production, historic production, albeit. Um, you know, and we'll talk about Tyler Lockett in a second, obviously criminally underrated, but um, just with some of the turmoil they went through last year, DK Metcalf um, still put up some pretty darn good numbers. So I'm going to go just right. Yeah, I think this is one of the few that I have absolutely no qualms on. I love this list. I think Jamar Chase is a top three receiver already. That's how good he is. So if he was five or six, I wouldn't have any beefs. I mean, this is just a loaded list. Metcalf deserved to be on it. I think 10, you know, nine or 10 is probably just about right for him because he's only had 1,000 yard season in his career, but he did have 12 touchdowns last year and he was playing with a foot injury that required surgery after the season. So this guy's a freak. He's only 24 years old. He's one of five receivers all time in his first three years to have over 28 touchdowns, over 3,100 receiving yards, and over 200 receptions. And Jerry Rice and Randy Moss are two of the other four. So he's in exclusive company. He deserves to be on this list at number 10. Now, Tyler Lockett, he's not on the list. He didn't actually make their honorable mention either. He did receive a few votes, but not enough to be on the honorable mentions. There were a few people polled that had him in their top 10. And he's been one of the most consistently productive players in the league for the last three or four years. So some of our listeners are going to be sitting here like, man, so you've got to think that he's underrated here. I think he is an underrated player, but based on this list, I, I don't have anybody that I can take off to put him in the top 10. I don't. And the honorable mention players, you know, you have guys like Keenan Allen that are outstanding talents in their own right and could make an argument to be in the top 10. I have no beefs with it. So I'm going to say just right on both these. If he was in the top 10, I would probably say just right. A lot of these guys are at that same level. And that just tells you how deep the receiving group is in the NFL right now, how much talent there is league-wide. I don't have a beef with it. I do think that he is an underrated player in a lot of regards. I'm not going to use this ranking, though, to try to fuel that. I, I think him being outside the top 10, not a huge deal to me. You could put him in the top 10, and I wouldn't beef about it. Him being in 15, 16 range, I'm not going to beef about it either just because there's so many good receivers in the NFL. I actually do have a beef with him, at least not being an honorable mention. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that he's underrated. And, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe he's he's not as flashy. He doesn't have those dances. I mean, he dances, but it's not like he doesn't have the, like, shiny grill, doesn't have the the TikTok stuff, doesn't doesn't talk a lot of smack. You know, he's just not the diva type that some of these guys are, which for better or for worse, that some of them are. Um, maybe that's why he's underrated. But I think he is. Um, just he, he set a career high in receiving yards last year with terrible, sometimes downright terrible quarterback play by Russell Wilson included, and um, by by some measures had his finest season statistically, which is quite amazing, all all things considered. Um, Not even a pro bowler, I thought, which is kind of half underrating him and half testament to how deep this uh, this receiver group is. Um, So yeah, I think he's underrated. He does deserve to be an honorable mention. Again, like you can't, we didn't compare notes before this. I can't take anyone off the top 10. I just can't. That's just such a stud list. Um, but he needs to be an honorable mention. He's been so consistent for longer than some of these guys even played college ball. 
So <laughs> he, he needs to be he needs to be recognized. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on that. I just think it's really tough because of how much talent that there is at that position. And I, I think you can make to an extent an argument with our second position here, linebacker. I think that there's a lot of talent at linebacker in the NFL right now. You just look at some of the names in this list. Darius Leonard coming in at number one of the Colts, absolute stud. Micah Parsons, record-breaking season with the Cowboys as a rookie. Fred Warner's been dominant the last three years for the 49ers. Devin White's a great player at the Buccaneers. Roquan Smith, Chicago has stunk, but he's been one of the few bright spots. Really good player. Demario Davis, one of the most underrated linebackers in football. I'm actually happy to see him on this list because he's a really good player for the Saints. Tremaine Edmonds with the Bills. Bobby Wagner being at number eight just tells you where the linebackers are at because he's still a very good player. Levante David, another Buccaneer. He's been great for a decade, still a really good player. And coming in at number 10, I think a lot of people were surprised by this based on what I saw on social media, but Jordan Brooks getting number 10. He makes the top 10 list after two seasons in the NFL. Nick, is that just right? Is it overrated? Is it underrated? Where do you stand on where Jordan Brooks fits on this list? Well, the average person might jump and say, oh, overrated. Just, but what, when you look at what he did last year, he's young. He had one of the more amazing seasons that just about anybody outside of Seattle didn't really recognize, I don't think. 184 combined tackles is the 10th most in single season NFL history since they've been tracking that stat. 10th most in NFL history and a Seahawks franchise record. Um, I think it's one number two or three of the last uh, three, four years. Um, he can rise, if he can rise up and have another 130 plus tackle season again this year, um, he absolutely will solidify himself unquestionably as one of the top 10 linebackers. I was actually surprised to see this too. I think it's just right. Now, maybe just a homer in me, um, but just with what he did last year, the sheer tackle numbers, sheer volume of tackles last year alone is eye-popping. And, and he's just, I think, tapping into what he can truly do. I'm going to surprise a lot of our listeners. I'm going to say underrated on this one. Now, very slight. And I think Levante David, you look at the track record that he's got. Yes, he deserves to be ahead when you look at what he's done in the past. But this is getting to be an older player. I think you can make the argument for Bobby Wagner, too. I think Jordan Brooks is going to be the better player of those three in 2022. I truly believe that. In fact, I'm going to make the argument that he's going to be one of the top five linebackers when they do this poll next year. I think he's got an all-pro caliber season coming. I I just think when you look at his evolution, last year reckoned all those tackles, you saw him improve against screens as the year progressed. He got better in coverage. In coverage. He was close to getting picks a couple of times. I think that his instincts are going to kick in even more, and those plays that he narrowly missed on, he's going to convert on this year. I just think he's got a big season coming. So I think you could say just right based on what he's done prior. I think if you're looking from a projection standpoint, give me him at number five or six. I think he's got that kind of talent, even with all the talent that's on that list. So you can maybe make that argument for Metcalf too, but certainly with Brooks, you got a chance to see that all pro caliber talent. Now our last ranking here, the Seahawks actually have two players impacted by this one, the safety position. And I didn't have a lot of issues with this originally. Justin Simmons for the Broncos, I think, is firmly number one. I like that pick a lot. Damn good football player. Minka Fitzpatrick with the Steelers, an excellent football player. Kevin Byard's been good for a long time. Maybe three is a little high for me, but he's worthy of being on this list. Derwin James, when healthy, is a top three safety. Buda Baker's a fantastic talent. Jesse Bates of the Bengals had a great postseason last year. He's been very inconsistent. Harrison Smith, I'll have more on him later. Uh, Marcus Williams of the Ravens at number eight. Antoine Winfield Jr., at number nine, and then Jamal Adams coming in 
at number 10. In earlier years, he probably would have been higher on this list, but obviously last year didn't get any sacks and missed the last six games with a shoulder injury. So the jury's out on where Jamal Adams really fits, and he's such a different player than anyone else on this list. So let's start with Adams real quick, Nick. Coming in at number 10, do you think he's overrated, underrated, or just right? Well, uh, to be frank, I think he's overrated at this point. Um, strictly from a availability and, and, and production standpoint, I know that he set the single season record for sacks by defensive back in 2020, which was a fantastic season was everything we could have dreamed of as far as just utilizing him as a true weapon in the, um, on defense in 2020. And then just absolutely disappeared last year. They almost offset each other in my opinion, just with how just invisible he was at times last year and when he was healthy. And then there's the health issue. He's just not been able to stay healthy. So, um, you know, I know we're going to get on this with with the other safety in Seattle. Um, but Jamal Adams, I think at this point, I'm not sure he deserves to be on that list. Now, I hope, again, I'm wrong. And he is healthy, puts together another season that maybe merges the two ways that he was used in 2020 and 2021 and truly becomes the the weapon that they saw when they traded so much capital for him. Um, but, yeah, for, for now, I'm going to go overrated. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think that this ranking, him landing at number 10, is reputation-based more than anything because he has been an all-pro safety in the league a couple of times. He's been a perennial pro bowler. He has the talent to be a top-five guy on this list, but injuries have hurt in the last two years. The Seahawks have not figured out how to best utilize him. That was a major problem last year. I'm not blaming the pass-rushing production on him. I'm blaming the coaching staff, and that's what Clint Hurt and Sean Desai and company, they got to, they got to figure out. I think he's a top 10 talent, but he would not be in my top 10 in this list if we're basing it off of last year. He would be honorable mention because I think he deserves to be in the discussion. I just wouldn't have him in the top 10. Now, let's get to the player who is not on this list. And, you know, let's get spicy. It's rankings. It's not that big of a deal, but this one is a big deal. I take this one personally because I've been watching Quandre Diggs play for the last five or six years. I loved what he did in Detroit on bad football teams. So this is not just me being a Seahawk podcast host saying this. I think Quandre Diggs is the most underrated player in the NFL. I don't care what position we're talking about. You look at that list. I'm going to post it one more time here. I'm looking at this list. Yes, Justin Simmons and Minka Fitzpatrick are fantastic. Kevin Byard's been really darn good. Derwin James is a great player. Buda Baker is a great player. But now I'm looking at Jesse Bates. Yeah, he's fine. He, he's a quality safety. He's a younger player. I think he's got the chance to be a perennial all-pro type talent. But he has not been consistent. Harrison Smith is getting old, and I've just never been that impressed with him. I don't know what it is that he has on people that vote for these things. I don't think he's a bad player. I've just I've never understood the fuss over him. I've just always thought he's kind of a, he's a good but not great safety. That's my opinion. There's a lot of people that don't agree with me. But I've thought that since he played Notre Dame. I just have, I've never been a huge fan. And you look at the rest of the rankings there. Marcus Williams is a good young player. He doesn't have the ball production that Quadri Diggs does. Antoine Whitfield Jr. I think belongs in this list. Even Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams has not been as good as Quandre Diggs the last couple of years. Not having Quandre Diggs, not only in the top 10 here, not having him in the top five. Nick, he's the only player in the league the last five years that's had at least three interceptions every damn season. Like, how do you not include him on this list? That's like not having Darth Vader in the top five Star Wars characters. Like, if you don't have Quandre Diggs in your top five for safeties, I'm taking away, I'm revoking your ability to talk football. 
That's how bad this is. He, I, I'm sorry. It just it infuriates me. He has been one of the best safeties in football for the last four or five years. He's been a pro bowl in the last two years. He talks about it in press conferences. I don't know why I'm not getting all pro votes. He should have been an all pro last year. He probably should have been the year before. Playing on defenses that haven't been great has hurt him, but he has not been the reason the defenses have not played up to par. He's the reason that they've been able to turn things around the second half, and he truly is a no-fly zone in center field. Enough said. Top five safety, him not being on this list is just laughable to me. I know Julio Rodriguez is the flavor of the month in center field for, for Seattle sports, but Quandre Diggs is a hell of a center fielder himself out there on the defense. And let me just throw a quick few stats at you. I know we got to get going, but since 2020, he is fifth among safeties in approximate value per pro football reference. He's tied with our boy Justin Simmons at number one for interceptions by safeties the last two years. And one of just two safeties in the uh, of last two years to be named a pro bowler each of the last two years that all those stats I just listed are top five safety numbers. It's, it's, it's an embarrassment it's, that he's not even top 10. It's, it's aggravating. Like, I, and I know that he's frustrated by it. He says he doesn't listen to the noise or whatever, but like the guy has been fantastic. Now the Seahawks paid him accordingly. So the I Seahawks hope he uses it too. You. But yeah, these rankings, you know, again, they're just rankings. They're coming from players, coaches, executives. They're not perfect. There's going to be plenty of flaws with the process, but how is Quandre Diggs not a top five, not top 10 safety? I just, it blows my mind. Anyway, we're going to move forward and close out the show after that because I need to go cool off after that particular one. But we'll have our listeners post on YouTube, uh, on comment section. Let us know on social media as well what your thoughts are on these rankings where some of the star Seahawks players fell. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. You can check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week on YouTube. When we return on Monday, we're going to be eight days away from the start of Seahawks training camp. So Rob Rang and I are going to kick off our training camp preview series, checking out the quarterback and linebacker positions, some burning questions, spotlight players, and bold predictions. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.